first, we got to get to the top news story of the day. And, you know, Mike Smith's been talking about it since the press briefing uh, happened earlier this morning. Premier David Eby making an announcement with regard to ICBC. Here is what the Premier said. I'm pleased to announce that thanks to the reforms we made uh, that have turned around our Crown Corporation, there will be no increases to ICBC's overall basic rate for the next two years. This will help keep insurance affordable for British Columbians at a time when people are facing significant cost pressures. All right, so from dumpster fire to frozen, how does this ICBC rate freeze land? We will open phones about that coming up in a few moments. But first, I want to unpack it all with our good friend, uh, Global News uh, legislative reporter, Richard Zussman, is on the line. Hi, Richard. Hey, Jody. Thanks for having me. Good. Oh, I'd love to talk to you about this. How do you, uh, how have you taken this all in? Is th- Does this feel remarkably political? Is, is this just that kind of a move or, or how does it fall with you? It, it feels remarkably political in the sense that when we saw the second quarter financial numbers uh, just a few weeks ago from then finance minister, Selena Robinson, it showed that ICBC actually is projected this year to lose money. And the main reason for that uh, is because of a loss in investments. Fine. But on the face of that, it's hard to believe that facing losses, uh, the government uh, believes it's going to forge through uh, with freezing these rates. And we also know that there's now a cabinet order in place requiring the BCUC that is supposed to be an in- independent regulator to keep these rates at zero. So historically, the BCUC has operated in a sense that they can approve or not approve suggestions from government in terms of increases or decreases or freezes of ICBC rates. In this case, the government is forging ahead in a political sense and saying, you know, we believe that the financial situation of the public insurer is good, and therefore you need to ensure that rates stay flat. It's exact. It's not exactly this thing that the NDP criticized the Liberal foreign government, but it's starting to get eerily close. Yes, yeah. ICBC yeah. is in much better financial situation now than it was five or six years ago, but still, it seems like at a time when we're seeing this forecast of losses to freeze the rates, as, as you alluded to, it feels very political. Interesting, though, those forecasted losses and what is going to land and, and sort of remain, I think, with our listener and, and people like me is the, the thing that resonates is we are in an affordability nightmare, inflation spiking, everything's costing more. It feels like, well, at least they're trying to do something. So that's yeah. the narrative that, that like they grab that headline and, and throw it out there. Yeah, and I think that's how it's going to resonate with the public. You know, none of this is free. The money comes from somewhere. But the reality is this government did put ICBC in a position where we can at least talk about keeping rates steady and affordable. There was this recent Ernst & Young report that showed the BC now has some of the best car insurance rates in the country after for years and years and years leading in terms of some of the most expensive in the country. So this this shift to no fault has helped – Buoy the bottom line, so did COVID, although that was a factor in all of the provinces in terms of seeing a massive drop-off in claims and crashes due to a drop-off in people using the roadways. And we still haven't seen driver behavior get back to normal as more people work from home. All of that is good for the public insurer in terms of, you know, having less risk associated with the roadway because of that decrease in traffic. But, you know, it's at least the province have put themselves in the position. That the thing we have to debate, Jody, is, is it okay to play politics with ICBC? You know, yeah. the NDP criticized the Liberals, but if you're going to manage this well, 
then maybe it is an opportunity, as you said, to say to British Columbians, this is one of our pieces around affordability, that we know that car insurance is something that, you know, comes as a pain every month or once a year, depending how you want to pay. And the province does step in and say, we need as a government to help you uh, make life a little bit more affordable. And, and car insurance rates is one of those ways they can do it. Uh, and, and the stability here that this offers, uh, you know, maybe is a good sign as, as we get to some sort of normalcy away from that dumpster fire. Right. Oppressively offensive for young people. I mean, I'm so grateful for my for my age and my quote unquote star discount, whatever, uh, because it is unbelievably expensive. And there was a time not long ago where you and I, Richard, we would have the conversation about how it was the most expensive uh, province to live in, in terms of having to insure your vehicle. And interesting to hear Mike Farnworth, the public safety minister, um, speak to the fact that it will now be as low as it was eight years ago and the lowest in the country, perhaps, if if the math is done a certain way. So while, while we will always debate any move made by our government, that's our job. Uh, it's interesting how much that narrative has, has shifted in eight years. It, it, it's remarkable. Uh, I did a lot of ICBC stories for a long time, Jody. And yes, this was one of the dominant political issues. And there have been challenges in just operating the public insurer. And all of a sudden, it seemed with the switch to no fault, a lot of that went away. But we are hearing, you know, in our global news email inboxes, uh, every day, stories from people who feel they are not getting what they need following a crash. And the province took away a lot of the powers around legal recourse and put in one of the best uh, plans in terms of uh, rehab and treatment that's offered but there were often concerns around meeting expectation about lost income, about yeah. lost work. And yes, the no-fault program allows people to get back on their feet quickly and give them the treatment they need. Uh, but if that treatment is severe, it le- if it leads to lifelong dis- diminishment or long-term disabilities, then there aren't as many supports there as would have been previously uh, in the system where the you know the tort system where you could sue um, and and go to court and get a big settlement in some cases. So we're hearing lots of stories of people who are struggling here. So this system works really well for those great drivers who aren't in crashes. But if you're involved in a crash, yes, there are real good supports in terms of rehab and um, physio and all of these things. Uh, but there's not great support when it comes to long-term job loss or long-term physical. Uh, uh, challenges in terms of continuing on with everyday life. Certainly. And and that's really well laid out in your article. I urge everybody to go to globalnews.ca and read uh, Richard and, and, and Amy Judd's uh, co- collaborative article here um, that, that really does lay that out. That cap is not insignificant. That settlement cap on injuries, like you said, there are some people who under this new system, while it does stop the dumpster fire of those who were utilizing those loopholes within the system to perhaps garner a settlement greater than what they would necessarily deserve, because it was sometimes, I guess, easier to just do the settlement than to go through the legal system because it was more costly to do so. So there's a lot of pieces to this particular puzzle. So I urge our listeners to uh, to check out globalnews.ca and see Richard, uh, Richard Zussman's piece on this. So does this, and I heard Mike talking about this earlier, does it kind of feel like with, with this being sort of one of those cookies that kind of signals that an election would be sooner rather than later? 
I don't buy this one bit, Jody. Okay, okay. The situation was, this is a massive majority government. David Eby is a brand new premier. Uh, he is delivering on what he's committed to. I think it's cynical to think that every time a government does something that's good for people, it's because they want votes in return. Right. I think this is a government that is trying to build up good credit. People don't know David Eby. They're getting to know him. He wants to be seen as a guy that can deliver, and this is part of it. It's not going to take one ICDC announcement to do that. He's got to build up a lot of credit, considering you know a lot of British Columbians really don't know what he, who he is and what he stands for. So I don't buy it. I'm not as cynical as Smitty is. I think we're going all the way to the fall of 2024. I'd even be willing to to book some vacations in possible times where we could have an election, Jody. And I'm telling my kids I'm not going away for six weeks until the fall of 2024. uh, And I don't like letting my kids down. So I, I don't I don't think we're having that early election. I love the way you laid that out. Thank you so much, Richard. Always a pleasure to hang out with you on the radio for a little bit. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, have a great show, Jody. My pleasure as always. Thanks. Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. Want to remind everybody, you can always call the buzz line at any time during the show on any topic that we touch on. I'm still getting emails right now about ICBC. And uh, I, you know what? I'm just going to read this one from John real quick before we welcome our next guest. Jason Tetro is standing by. But John sent me this as we were talking about the rate freeze announced today by Premier David Eby. He said, hi, Jody. My daughter was rear-ended on October 16th. ICBC gave her a rental until they figured out if they would fix it or write it off. On Friday afternoon, we received an email stating that they were going to write off the car, told the amount they would pay for the car, and said the rental had to be back by Monday. How is my daughter supposed to buy a car until she receives the money? Low premiums are useless if the service provided is unacceptable. Thanks, John. John, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for writing in. Uh, always send me your thoughts at jody at cknw.com or you can call the buzz line, as I said, and leave a voicemail 604-331-BUZZ, 604-331-2899. And you can also text to the buzz line as well. Lots of ways to get in touch with us here. And you, you those are all the ways you're going to want to get in touch with our next guest, because during this triple-demic, the importance of science is at the fore. And our go-to on science is Jason Tetro, microbiologist with a specialty in emerging pathogens like COVID-19. Jason has been educating us. He's the germ guy. He's been educating us, taking the complex and making it palatable and consumable for those of us who don't have master's degrees in, in sciences. So Jason Tetro, Tetro is joining us on the line. Hi, Jason. Hello there. Already getting emails for you, my friend. I forwarded you the one um, from a, a couple of listeners. Now I'm trying to find it because everybody's emailing me fast and furious here. Mm-hmm. But talking about so many people have now contracted COVID-19 and they don't yeah. really know when they're supposed to get their booster dose after they've mm-hmm. been a positive test. So is it three months? Is it six months? Like what can you, can you answer that one right off the hop? Yeah, absolutely. So if you happen to be in an age category that's above the 70, basically, then three months is probably going to be okay because essentially what you're doing with a vaccine or a booster is you're trying to raise up that primary immune defense. And it's only going to last for a few months when you are uh, unfortunately, um, you know, 
not having the same immune system you might have had when you were younger. Now, if you happen to be anywhere from the 40s to 60s, then yeah, probably five to six months is what you're looking at, unless you have some kind of pre-existing condition, such as, you know, a cardiac problem or diabetes or something, then you might want to go for that three month as well. If you happen to be underneath that 40, then six months is probably going to be okay. And I'll be honest with you, Jody, based on the amount of people I've talked to who happen to be under the age of 40, they probably are still getting it. So mm, <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, the virus, not the vaccine. Right. But, I mean, that's just the way things are, right? Because the minute that people said, oh, you can take your masks off. Well, people started taking their masks off and surprise, people started getting sick again. A lot of people getting sick and not just with COVID-19. As we've heard no. from Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry, I was watching her on Global Morning News last week talking about the importance of getting that flu vaccine, talking about the importance of getting childhood immunizations up to date. I mean, a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, for, for good reason or, or for reasons surrounding COVID didn't necessarily get mm-hmm. the scheduled vaccinations that they would have, even if, if kids might have been out of school at that moment, what have you. There are a lot of factors here. So it's not a blame game. Yeah, It's an education situation here when it comes to immunization. So can you lay it out for us? Well, yeah. Um, Well, first off, let me just say that from my perspective as a microbiologist, um, microbiology is ecology and humanity is part of an ecology. And so there's always trade-offs, right? And so when you're looking at ecology trade-offs, when it comes to infectious diseases, you have to look at it this way. If you choose to get vaccinated, then you are getting, in essence, a training for your immune system that is controlled and known to be proper based on a lot of testing that has been done, sometimes decades. If you, however, decide that you do not want to go that route and you end up getting infected, and this happens to be a lineage or a strain or a variant, whatever word you want to say, that you've never seen before, such as what we are encountering this year with H3N2 and respiratory syncytial virus because of the variants on the ON1. Anyways, it's, it's new. Then you are going to get hit really, really hard. And you're going to have to deal with that. So instead of just a day or two that you might feel unwell or maybe a bit woozy, you may end up being down for three weeks with the flu and up to six weeks with the RSV. And that's if you're wow. an adult. If you're a child, you actually may be in a life-threatening situation. This is one of the reasons why we start talking about the vaccinations for flu and for many of the other viruses and bacteria that are out there. Because while we can't protect through vaccination against RSV yet, we can protect against all those others. And this is really what we need to think about. It's not about vaccination and forced vaccination, mandatory vaccination. It's about an ecological trade-off. What are you more willing to deal with in your own life. Well said. Honestly, like so succinct in that if and the takeaway here is, sure, you can you can choose to not train your immune mm-hmm. system for what is circulating or you can train it a little bit and instead of getting sick for weeks, you can be sick for days, much milder. Yeah. Um so because people want to argue, why would I get a vaccine if it's not going to stop me from getting the virus. Okay, so I do need to point out something here. Unless you are wearing barrier protection, you will always be exposed to bugs, bacteria, viruses, fungi, whatever it is. If you have that barrier protection on, then it's going to help to make sure that it doesn't get inside of you. Once it gets inside of you, then it's up to your immune system to decide whether or not you're going to get sick or whether you are going to feel just a little bit unwell or you're not going to feel anything at all. And that immune system 
has to be trained because you cannot just let it be completely naive and expect it to fight something it's never seen before. It's just that simple. So that's why the vaccination is there. And particularly if you don't want to be wearing masks, make sure you've got that vaccine inside of you. Isn't that the irony, though? The person who does not want to wear the mask will not protect themselves via their immune system. So that's that's it's not wanting to be told what to do, even though the people that are actually doing the telling are the scientists. Of course, the politicians get involved in that. But the scientists Mm -hmm. who are stating the facts, you're stating facts here. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, is I've been dealing with rugged individualism for like 30 years. And yes. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to be told what to do. Fine. But at the same respect, if you get sick. Don't come to me whining. Right. And it's really funny because people then are like, oh, my God, Jason, that's cruel. That's heartless. I'm like, no, that is science. That is ecological trade-offs. And right. if you choose to take a trade-off that is going to leave you in a weaker position, it is not my responsibility to feel bad for you. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett with my friend Jason Tetro, microbiologist. He is an author. He is a podcaster. He is an expert on emerging pathogens like COVID-19. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about RSV. We're talking about the flu, which is the H3N2. Lots of calls for you, Jason. Uh, line them Line them up, 604-280-9898, star 9898, a free call on your cell. Also, I'm getting a bunch of emails, jody at cknw.com, so we'll sneak a couple of those in here and there. But let's start. Is this right, Tim French, our technical director? It's Brian in Hawaii. Really? Okay, Brian in Hawaii. Aloha. Yeah, aloha. So I just had a question. Uh, We're going to be traveling up to Big White for about two weeks. We're leaving this Friday. Uh, I was wondering how long it takes for the flu vaccine to um, take effect. I mean, if I take it today, is it going to be beneficial to me? And also, is there more than one flu shot to get? Thank you. Yeah, so there really is only one flu shot to get. It's just whether or not you get a higher dose for people who are above the age of 70 or a lower dose from the sound of your voice. And I imagine that the lower dose will be fine for you. It takes about two weeks before it actually gives you the protection that you need, the cross protection, whatever it's called. Um, I think if you get it today or tomorrow, you're going to be well on your way to uh, Big White. And you're also going to make me incredibly jealous. (laughs) From Hawaii to Big White. I am jealous of Brian, but I love that he is listening to us all the way across the Pacific there. Let's continue down the phone boards. Your calls for Jason Tetro. Mark in North Delta. Welcome to the show, Mark. Oh, hi, Jody. Hi, Jason. Uh, quick question. Hi. Uh, Jason, I've had uh, my first two vaccinations for COVID-19, AstraZeneca, second mm-hmm. two boosters, Moderna, the last of the fourth being June 9th. I'm 58. What's your recommendation? Do I get another um, COVID-19 shot? I have had the flu shot also. Yeah. Good one. Well, it's good that you got the flu shot. Awesome. Uh, get the four or five. Um, I, I've been looking at how the, the, the latest booster, the, the four or five, has really been helping to give people that extra protection that they need. And also, if you look at the lineages that are coming up, they are all based on the four or five. So I think that will give you the cross protection you need to make sure that you might only have the sniffles or maybe a sore throat, but definitely not anything severe. Okay, I got a question from Lisa about RSV. She said, hi, Jody. probably had RSV as a kid. Can you ask Jason if adults should be boosted with a vaccination for RSV if there is one? Yeah, there isn't yet. It's so close. Like literally next year, we may actually be talking about the RSV vaccine, but we're not there yet. Um, If you had it as a child, there's a good likelihood you'll have a cross protection, which means that it will not affect you as badly. However, 
The problem is that with RSV, your immunity does go down over time. So it's better to prevent yourself from getting infected because when you do, it's going to start up in the top part of your head and then it's going to go into your throat and then it's going to go down into your upper chest. And if it's really going to get bad, it's going to go into your lower chest, very similar to a flu. That can take upwards of six weeks for it to resolve. And then you still have this really nasty cough for a long time afterwards. So um, yeah, try not to get it. Is there something that can be done if you know you have it? It, it, Like, are there, are there steps one might take to, to stave off the worst of it? No, it, it, this is where we get into supplemental therapy, which essentially is just making sure that you're getting bed rest and, and you're getting liquids and fluids and stuff like that. There are some viruses out there like influenza where you can have an antiviral. Um, but the thing is, is that we're now starting to see viral resistance against these antivirals. So mm. unless you're in a situation where your your health is really at risk, I think it's just probably best to make sure you know, you stay at home, you get, you, you get your fluids, you get your rest, that type of thing. Right. And you can do the things that make you feel better. Like you can eat the honey. You can you have the ginger tea. You can. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you've got the ginger But it's not going to do anything. You've got the honey. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyone who ever remembers the term hot toddy knows exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these are really fantastic and they work out great. Um, and then, of course, you've got the people who love their, uh, their, their home remedies, like, you know, the onions and the socks at the bottom of the bed. Many cases, the allicin that comes up from that actually gets into your nose and into your throat and can help to reduce the level of the microbes that are currently there. So there are a number of things people try. Um, It's just, you know, (laughs) we could do an entire show on that some other time. Okay, let's do that. Let's keep going down the phone board. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898 or star 9898. Jimmy in Vancouver, welcome. Hey there. How are you doing, Jody and Jason? Good. How are hey. you? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, no offense, Jason, but I'm one of those rugged people that uh, hopefully I'm working on not having to ever come to you guys for for the drugs or anything, you know. So um, on, a, on a side note, I'm just really, really curious to find out why you guys never, like even throughout the whole pandemic, uh, never mentioned anything like uh, going for teas, you know, your, you know, your grandma's chicken soup or you know, vegetables, or, you know, whoa, even like whoa, whoa, a website whoa. like a CDC. One we second. Do, you like we do that all the time. Let me stop you there. Let me, yeah. let me stop you there. I actually have done that show several times where we yes. had the call-in shows where people called in with their home remedies and I told them how it actually worked against things like COVID and other respiratory viruses. Do not do that to me. I actually did that show because there are a number of them that are out there that actually do help and they do work. Don't talk to me about colloidal silver, though. Don't talk to me about no. oil of oregano. You're going to talk to me about vitamin D. You're going to talk to me about onions. You're going to talk to me about mustard plasters. But there are definitely things that are known to work because they have a mechanism. And then there are things that don't work. And so the thing is, is that you better be sure that when you're coming with something like that, you know what the mechanism is. And then we'll talk about it. But if you don't, then we'll have another call-in show where we can talk about homemade remedies and which ones work and which ones don't. Mary, on Vancouver Island, you're up next. Welcome to the show, Mary. This is in regard to the number of kids getting the flu, um, especially very, very young kids. Um, Because we were so cloistered during COVID, um, which I agreed with and so on, uh, but um, so say nursing mothers were possibly not able, is it true they were possibly not able to pass on immunity because they weren't out there getting infected themselves and therefore these uh, very young kids are getting infected because they didn't get the immunity passed on through breastfeeding? We have 30 seconds. No, (laughs) that's just not the way it works. There you go. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I, you get the IgA and you get some IgGs from the mother's milk. But at the end of the day, if you don't create the IgMs and the B cells in your own body based on the vaccination, um, then you're not going to have the protection that you need. You'll have some partial cross protective immunity from the mother's milk. But at the end of the day, um, you just do not want them to get anywhere near those viruses. Thank you so much, as always, Jason. We could literally do hours and hours and hours. The phone lines just <laughs> blow up Absolutely. when you're here. And you're so great at bringing the the pragmatic realities of how it's not black or white. There's gray area to be discussed, but certainly science is at its foundation, a practice, and there's mm-hmm. such to be learned from people like you. I always appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this, my friend. It was such a pleasure. Take care. Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. It's time to talk some FIFA World Cup. Boy, I don't know about you, but I kept trying to leave my house this weekend and I just couldn't. I just couldn't. I was like, no, no, no I'll do that in just one second. Just got to watch this just for one more second. I am caught up in it as a sports fan, uh, a sports fanatic. And certainly when the matchups are huge or the underdog comes roaring from behind, if you have not been tuned in to the FIFA World Cup 2022 Qatar, uh, perhaps you will now that the the semis are set. I want to bring in a friend of mine, good friend of mine, in fact, Scott Rintel, veteran sports broadcaster. You watched him on Sportsnet. You listened to him on Sportsnet Radio, and, and he continues to be uh, a sports broadcast worldwide. One of my uh, colleagues at Al Jazeera English, in fact, Scott Rintel on the program. Welcome, buddy. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Jody. Good to have you on. So let's talk it through. Let's set the table. Imagine, if you will, I've watched nothing. I have, I'm completely unaware of where we have been to this point and set the table for me, won't you? Well, you won't be surprised to hear that Argentina and France are in the semifinals, Ken, because Argentina is a storied nation in world football led by one of the greatest players of all time, Lionel Messi. And boy, was he prolific on the weekend in getting... Argentina into the semifinals and on the other side France defending champion of the World Cup and really the standard bearer right now on the world stage so no one would be surprised by that you might be surprised by Croatia if you haven't watched at all because they weren't favored as one of the teams to get to the semifinals despite their recent rich history they were a semifinalist in 2018 they have been a team that with their midfield and their experience with the likes of Luka Modric, people have paid attention to for quite some time. But I don't think anyone really fancied their chances in this tournament. And then there's Morocco. This is the Cinderella story of this tournament. And this is a team that no one expected to get out of the group and now finds itself in the semifinal. And if two of those countries stand out, Jody, it's because two of them were in Canada's group, which now all of a sudden looks like the group of death because two semifinalists at the World Cup were playing in the same group as Canada. It's unbelievable, isn't it? We wanted to be where Morocco is right now. We wanted to be that that Cinderella story. What is it about these underdogs that have them playing? Uh, is is it the level of of unexpected uh, success? I know in watching the the Croatian team advance, it literally at one point in the game, the commentators were like, "This game is over," and it wasn't clearly. Well, I think there's well, they're playing Brazil in that match as well, and when Brazil scores an extra time, and boy, there's been a lot of extra time in this tournament yes. so far. Neymar scores one of the goals, certainly certainly one of the goals we've ever seen, one of the greatest goals we've ever seen in the World Cup, and, and perhaps the goal of this tournament. It, it's certainly in the running for that. He scores that in extra time, and people think, okay, Brazil, which has been the better team thus far in this match, now has its path through to the semifinal. But 
a late lapse. Croatia responds on the counterattack, scores, and then just steeled nerves in that penalty kick shootout. They were they were fantastic and and much better than Brazil in that component of the contest. So there they are. And and on the Moroccan side of things, boy, what a Cinderella story you mentioned. They've only conceded one goal in this tournament. And guess which team got it? It was actually Canada. Yes, it was an own goal. That's the only ball that has been able to get past a Moroccan keeper outside of, of penalty kicks. And they, wow. too, outlasted Spain, out, found a way against Portugal with a brilliant goal. And Morocco has done it really with defense. They just haven't allowed goals in this tournament. They've sat back. It's perhaps not the most attractive style of football, but they've been opportunistic when those opportunities have arisen. And here they find themselves one win away from getting to the World Cup final. All right. So for our viewing pleasure, uh, what is our timing like and what do we expect in the matches on the table? Well, we've got Argentina and Croatia tomorrow, and then we will be followed by France and Morocco on Wednesday, winners of those matches advance to the weekend where they will play in the World Cup final. I would think at this point that most would favor Argentina, led by Messi and France, the defending champion, to get through. But as we've seen in this tournament, it has been completely unpredictable so far. Buckle up. Should be a fun ride the next couple of days. No kidding. I mean, just ask Neymar how, how the expectation was there. But when we talk about Messi, this will be his last World Cup. Is he not 36? Yeah, he's he's at the end of the road. I don't think anyone expects him to play in another World Cup. And this is the one thing that would appear to be missing on his resume. And, and yeah. for our lifetimes, Jody, we've heard the comparison between he and Cristiano Ronaldo. And Lino Messi has a Copa America and, and Cristiano Ronaldo, he's got himself a Euro championship. This, for a lot of people, though not everyone, would maybe break the tie if Lino Messi gets this with an Argentinian squad that is not as good as some we've seen in the past that failed to win the World Cup, if he were to lead this side to a World Cup victory, there would be some who would say, okay, he's better than Ronaldo. He is the the player at the top of this generation. Now, some will never agree. Some will look at Ronaldo's goal-scoring goal record and, and, that, and, and always lean toward him. But it may be the tiebreaker, and I think there's a lot of people who appreciate the class of Messi that would love to see him win this tournament for that specific reason. We all know who the greatest soccer player on the planet is, and she is Christine Sinclair. Uh, we'd be remiss, uh, Scott Rintoul, if we did not identify and, and acknowledge the, the, a couple of tragedies, in fact, that have happened with our media brethren, if you will, uh, two journalists, one f- uh, photographer and one uh, celebrated, uh, famed American soccer journalist, both dying um, while mid-match collapses, certainly not at the same time, but they're that undercurrent, that story behind the story is is still there. It is, and really, these are obviously tragedies in their own right, and they aren't necessarily related to anything that happened before the tournament, but this is really the compartmentalization that this World Cup has been for those who have chose, chosen to consume it. We talked about the 5,000 migrant workers who died prior to this tournament, building venues and getting... Doha and Qatar ready for this tournament, a number that has been disputed by some on the ground in Qatar. But nonetheless, Grant Wall, who passed away and had a seizure at the match between Argentina and the Netherlands, he was someone who had documented many of the atrocities leading up to this tournament. He had been refused entry into a stadium in the last two weeks because he wore a rainbow football shirt saying that football is for everyone. And we all know where Qatar is on 
on uh, rights for LGBTQ and, and the lack thereof. And so mm. he had been denied entry. So when he passed away suddenly, there had been and remain many questions as to whether or not there's a suspicious nature tied to his, his death. And if there was something nefarious, I can't speak to the death of the photojournalist who happened to be Qatari, uh, Khalid al-Mislam, I believe is how it's pronounced. He yeah. too collapsed and passed away suddenly. Nothing nefarious has been connected or suggested to, to my uh, knowledge so far, Jody, but it does speak to the two sides of this, the sporting side and then everything else that's been going on with this tournament. It is news meets sport, and I'm glad we got to cover both of them with somebody as adept at all of that as you are, Scott Rintoul. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Thanks, Jody. Scott Rintoul, veteran sports broadcaster, good friend of the program, and uh, always on top of the sports. Oh, Scott, are you still there? Because I want you to give a little love to this, the soccer um, team that you're supporting here locally. Uh, TSS Rovers, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'll give them a shout-out community-owned team first one of its kind in canada there are a few shares still left if you want to be part of a community-owned team really what this is my dog does as you can tell clearly leah wants to be involved (laughs) she's speaking up right now but yeah it's a community-owned team i love it you know jody you know what the saskatchewan rough riders mean to that province you know what the green bay packers mean to wisconsin these are community-owned teams and this is something that you see in Europe with soccer, but you don't see in Canada. And this is the first one of its kind. I love it. They play out of Swan Guard. They're part of League One BC, and they've had some pretty prominent players come through that program in the past. The likes of Julia Grosso, you talk about national team members, she scored the penalty kick winning goal for Canada, the golden goal at the Olympics. Yeah. So just Huge. one of the Where do we go? Where, where do people go if they want to check that out? Uh, they can find it online, TSS Rovers. Pretty easy to look up. You can find it on Twitter as well. Fantastic club. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill for the next few days. I want to talk about holiday festivities, gatherings. Oh, isn't it great that we can all get together again? Isn't it great to break bread with with friends you haven't seen in far too long. Of course, we're keeping it safe. We're taking care of one another. We're making sure we're following all of the public health advice that we're getting to protect our most vulnerable, but also staying as healthy as we can as well. Uh, Certainly, some of us have leaned a little hard into some of our indulgences over the past couple of years, straightening out the nutrition over the last few months, getting uh, healthier, as we reemerge from what has been a very scary time in COVID-19 and now headed into the holiday season opportunities to sort of let some of those newly established healthy habits go to the wayside. Well, we don't want to do that. And the person who helps exponentially, really, honestly, when it comes to moderation, not talking about, uh, depriving yourself of the things that make you happy or that taste good, uh, or feel good for that matter, but but being mindful in in how you navigate what can be an extraordinarily festive time for gatherings. I'm talking about Alyssa, Alyssa Bowman, holistic nutritionist and owner of Nourished.ca. Joining me on the line. Hi, Liz. Hi, Jody. Thanks for having me on. I'm very excited to to dive into the the healthy habits and talk through some of the the holiday parties that I mean every every night this week there's something every night next week there's something which is so great it's so exciting because so great. it hasn't been like that for so long but 
we really do need some of your your tips and tricks for for staying healthier. Oftentimes we talk about the Christmas party. Today though, I want to have a little bit of a chat about uh, Hanukkah. You've taught mm-hmm. me a lot about the Jewish faith. You are my educator in Judaism, and I sit at your Hanukkah table. So just for our listener who perhaps doesn't know a lot about Hanukkah, can you can you give some perspective as to what uh, a Hanukkah meal entails and how a holistic nutritionist navigates it? <laughs> okay, thank you. Yes, I would love to. So Hanukkah is uh, the festival of light in the Jewish religion, the Jewish culture. Um, it happens usually in December, uh, sometimes it overlaps with Christmas. Uh, this year it starts December 18th, so next Sunday night, and it lasts for eight nights. And basically, in a nutshell, the story of Hanukkah is when the Jews were fighting. Um, they got into a temple that was pretty much absolutely destroyed, and it was cold, and there was no light, and they actually found a uh, lantern, an oil lantern that they thought had enough oil to last one night. And they call it, you know, it's a miracle because it lasted eight nights. So that's why we celebrate Hanukkah for eight nights. And yes. going back to the food part is that you are supposed to eat um, a food that has a lot of oil in it to represent and to, you know, signify the miracle, the oil, and we're celebrating the oil. So some foods that are very, um, very much part of the Hanukkah celebration is potato latkes, which have been fried in oil, uh, spring rolls that are, you know, very high, you know, fried in oil again, uh, which is also, you know, it's, called, it's really a donut, a jelly donut. And that, as you know, it's fried in oil. So um, it's not the healthiest. Um, way and time of year to, to celebrate. But that being said, it's a tradition. And what happens at my table is we have all of the things, as you know. Brady yes. loves his potato latkes, and my girls love when you come and, and bring donuts. Um, so that's what happens, uh, and we eat that, and I'll make a big salad that has is dressed with some kind of olive oil, and then we'll have, you know, some kind of lean lean protein. Um, and the way I go about it is to enjoy and to indulge and to take the things that you really, really like to eat, take the foods that are traditional to this time of year that you never eat. I mean, personally, I never make potato latkes ever except one time a year. And of course, I'm going to indulge and I'm going to enjoy. And then I know, you know, following up the next day and the next day, I'm going to continue on eating the way I normally eat. I don't normally eat fried foods. I don't normally eat latkes. And that's kind of my approach on, um, or donuts. And that's my approach on, on all of the holidays and all of the traditions. It's like when we're getting around the table and we're celebrating and my goodness, we have so much to celebrate and to, to enjoy and to indulge and to eat until, you know, you're satiated and not until you're full. So that's kind of how I really like to go about enjoying all food, actually, and especially during the holidays. I mean, I love an apple fritter, and I love a potato pancake. Do I like three potato pancakes? Not really. It's going to hurt my stomach. Do I like, you know, an entire apple fritter, especially the ones that you bring? Lee's um, donuts. They're really big. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really they're the big. Size of my they're head. really yeah. big. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I really bring into, you know, my, my whole philosophy is being mindful 
And I bring that mindfulness to everything I eat, including the fried foods, and I enjoy it. And then when I'm finished, I just take a step back and I just know that I've enjoyed it and I'm enjoying the company and enjoying the food and not, and not worrying and not self-sabotaging and not worrying that, you know, oh, I've had, some, I've had too much of this. That's okay. The very next food decision can start the next day and I can eat my greens and I can have everything that I want to eat as long as I'm being mindful. Right. Your, your, your day-to-day are the things that maintain your nourished status. And then the holidays come and you, you pivot and, and enjoy and indulge and then pivot back to what works in every other day. Yeah. What happens when you it, have the multiple parties lined up in a row and you have to be more diligent, I guess? Because I know I, I used to fall into the trap of like, I'm just not going to eat for the whole day and then I'll just eat at the buffet. Oh, and you know what happens there, right? You overeat at the buffet and then you don't feel good. And then you're too focused on the food and not focused on the conversation. I'm so like Hanukkah's eight nights. Do I have a Hanukkah party every single night? No, definitely not. But, you know, I will have the foods around because I do still have a young family. So I will have maybe it it depends on how I'm feeling. If I want another potato locker or if I want another donut, I will go ahead and I will enjoy it without guilt. But most of the time, um, I, I follow the 80%, 20% rules. I eat 80% of the time. I know foods that are going to help me and fuel me and help me feel good. And then the other 20%, I'll indulge. They, 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 you know, they, they access a different part of me, of more of a tradition and a culture, and I will enjoy them just the same. Just not to be excess. That's all. I'm Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett, speaking with Alyssa Bowman, holistic nutritionist and principal at nourished.ca. Lots of great resources on your website, uh, Alyssa. You have the A to B method, uh, which is how you support your clients in, in finding their best nourished self. And one of the things I love about working with you on my health and nutrition is how you, you never tell me to deprive myself. You set me up to succeed by giving me things to swap out, things to be mindful of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and was hoping that you might share a couple of those with our listener today who's thinking to themselves, I do everything I can and especially try to eat healthy, and yet it's so oppressively expensive to lean into the fresh food as, as often is the advice from nutritionists as you want to shop around the edges of the grocery store. It's a really expensive lap right now. So give some of your tips and tricks for that. Everything is an expensive lap right now. Well, you know, you said something really interesting there. It is a practice. You can't go into this and be like, okay, I'm going to, this is what I'm doing. You know, it's a practice. And just like we do things every single day, you have to be patient with yourself and focus on one thing until you master it. So, you know, my biggest advice for anybody who's looking to start, you know, feeling better and, and start, you know, wanting to become a little bit more um, aware on their wellness journey. The biggest thing that I can, can say is eat more greens and know that it's a practice. The more you eat the greens, the more you're going to want to eat the greens because you're going to see the results. You're going to have more energy you're going to start crowding out the other foods that aren't working for you because you're going to be seeing this nutrient um, pop that you're getting, but yeah. it's the practice. So be patient for yourself and pick, pick this one thing. So let's just say you're, you're starting your health journey and you're going to, for one week, you're going to commit to yourself that you're going to eat more greens um, at every meal. And whether those are frozen, whether that's frozen broccoli or that's fresh kale, whatever that, that may be for you, just pick one of these wellness ideas and stick with it for a week. 
And I guarantee that you will notice tremendous differences in your energy levels, in your mood levels. Um, if you have sugar craving, for instance, when you eat greens and you eat more greens, those sugar cravings really go away. And you're not craving those, you know, refined carbohydrates that lots of us tend to get on this, you know, 4 p.m. roller coaster. So mm-hmm. eat your greens and remember that it is a practice and it's okay if, for instance, you have a day that's not your best day, be compassionate with yourself, be kind to yourself, and know that you can start with the very next food decision. Because what happens is, is that when we're, when, we're, when we're mean to ourselves and we have that inner voice, you know, talking down to us, it's just adding more stress and it's making this whole wellness practice that much harder to um, attain. So it takes practice and to be more mindful. And add the greens. You don't have to subtract everything from your diet. Just start by adding, Mm -hmm. right? This is all about, my approach is adding things into your diet and not taking things out. Because what you'll notice is the more you add into your diet, the more produce you add in, the more greens that you add in, the more um, carbohydrates, the unrefined carbohydrates that you add in, the less of the other foods and packaged foods and store-bought foods that you kind of rely on, you you will stop relying on that so much because you're adding in the good food. And what happens is your palate starts to change and you're going to want to crave more of these foods. And it doesn't, it doesn't take a long time. It takes maybe three days. And if you have the healthy food on hand, you will eat it. That's the key is having it on hand because we mm-hmm. all lean into the peanut butter sandwich. I mean, we do on the run oh, eating, whether it's peanut butter. Yeah. Yep. The, the yeah. peanut butter on the whole grain sandwich, that's a complete protein. And I'd go for you on that. Throw a little banana in it, some chia right. seeds and some hemp seeds. And you have a great, you know, on the go, quick breakfast or lunch or wherever you may, what you may need. A couple of things you said that are important mm-hmm. though. Whole grains. You got, mm-hmm. you know, you're loading up because that's your, again, you went through my kitchen and, and wiped it out. You took out all the processed food. Not that I had a ton of it, but you're like, you know what? Swap out this for that. And it, mm-hmm. I didn't really notice the a remarkable difference, to be honest with you, other than the fact that when I did have that spoonful of sugar in my coffee in the morning, my, my coffee felt way too sweet. Suddenly it's weird how I had always done the same amount of sugar in my coffee and the one coffee I have a day, my only really added sugar. And all of a sudden I needed way less. Your palate changes very, very quickly. As I say, three days, you know, when we talk about expensive food and whatnot, you can buy a large bag of rolled oats or old-fashioned oatmeal for under $4. And I tell you, you can feed a family on that for breakfast yeah. um, for over a month, right? And as opposed to, you know, those single-serving packages of oatmeal, not bad, but there's lots of sugar in them. Those are very expensive, and those will last you maybe a week if you're feeding a family. So look for, you know, the, the grains in bulk and you will actually save some money. And the same thing with your hemp seeds and your chia seeds. These are all, you know, staples that I have in my refrigerator. And, and yeah, I buy the bag that's $9.99, but I'm going to have it a good month. So yeah. if you invest, if you invest ahead of time, you will absolutely see the returns, not only in your health, but also in your wallet. And it's interesting because the the pieces of the puzzle, like having that steel cut out, you got me into the routine. I have those every morning because I make them once a week and then they're super easy Mm -hmm. to to heat and eat and grab. And then I can eat whatever I'm having later in the day, but it front loads me. So I'm not ravishing Ravishing. by that, right? Like I'm, I would be starving without them. And in fact, when I make that good decision first, my choices later become more mindful 
Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Actually, research shows that the people who eat breakfast in the morning, you know, I'm talking anytime before 11 o'clock. So people who eat breakfast in the morning actually take in fewer calories for the day, make better food decisions throughout the day and eat healthier throughout the day. So the people that are like, oh, I'm not going to eat breakfast because, you know, I'm saving up for my big Christmas lunch or my big, you know, holiday dinner. Those are the ones that you're not making the right decision that's going to set you up for your day. So this is all about setting yourself up for your day and what feels best for you and what's going to make you feel your best. And back to the holiday season, we only got like 30 seconds here, Liz, but the one other big lesson around this time is we don't realize mm-hmm. that when we add the Bailey's coffee to the routine, that's adding, and you're not a calorie counter, but when you're drinking uh, easily okay. like the eggnog, I'm going to have three eggnogs. That's oh, a yeah, day's yeah. worth of fat and sugar. A hundred percent. Every alcoholic drink that you have, please follow it with water before you refill, because you're not going to be able to ingest as much. So if you refill your, your alcohol glass, use, use the same glass with water, you are still getting full, you're still having something to drink, and you're not ne- taking in nearly as many calories. And then my last thing before we leave is take a walk. Yeah. Go outside and take a walk after your big, big, big meals, and if you're drinking, if you're not drinking, go outside and take a walk. That really, really helps digestion and helps the blood sugars uh, even out. You know what? You just set me up for my next segment because it's Fleur de Ville Noel, which is a walking tour downtown Vancouver. We're going to set up and explain that entire event on the other side of a quick break. As always, Alyssa, such a touchstone for us. Thank you for giving us some time. Nourished.ca is where you find out more from Alyssa Bowman and uh, also a great follow on Instagram. Some amazing free recipes to be found at Nourished.ca. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Jody. Have a good day.